Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by The Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. Look, this will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I actually liked. I'd find a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's finally done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for without sacrifice. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than a 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything you need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in. Yes, I'm with me, Bram, with me per usual. My boy, producer Marcus. What's up, Damnation? Almost screwed that up. We haven't had you for so long, MT, that I wasn't sure how to put it in. And joining me also, per usual, my master of all things sound and remarkably long videos, Maxine. How's it going? Boys, I am excited to announce that rejoining us after way too long. I mean, way too long. A sports journalist with experience in Washington, Idaho, North Carolina, and New York. A reporter who has covered college basketball, college football, Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NBA. NBC Sports Bay Area Specialist for your Golden State Warriors, a member of the Dubs Talk podcast, and a woman who noticed that the only time Bob Myers almost got emotional during his announcement last week was when he talked about the fans. Miss Kareth Burke, what's going on, KB? Well, thank you. You always do the best introductions. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate you saying that, and a couple of things moving backwards before we move forward. Backwards thing number one, I think I have my mic on the wrong setting. Let's see if this actually makes a difference because it feels like, yep, using the wrong one. Boom. That's how professional (laughs) uh, I'm making a switch as we go. And then two, a quick admission for you. I thought of you um, this last weekend. So some background here. I've got a seven-year-old. She is now in second grade, moving to third. But because of COVID, we kind of slowed down on like meeting new people and like the expansion of my social circle that having a young kid creates. And so this last weekend, we're we're kind of starting to do that. We were at a birthday party and I don't really like I'm, I'm weird with social interactions occasionally. And I'm sitting there meeting somebody for the first time and I should be paying attention to what they're saying. And the first thing they tell me was their name. Kareth, I didn't know not one other word they, that that woman talked to me for another I don't know like eight minutes probably I didn't hear one thing I spent the entire time thinking I need to like text Kareth I need to tell her I'm writing down the notes so I met another Kareth in the wild and thought of you immediately that thank you okay you're certain it was Kareth I'm so the problem is since I was in my head for as long as I was I lost my ability to ask any follow-ups. Certainly, <laughs> what's your name? You know, like I, like I was already so deep in pretending to listen. So I think so. I'll, next time we see you, I'll confirm. But I think so. Okay, okay. Well, this is amazing that the map of Kareth is getting smaller and smaller. Someday I will meet another one. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's gonna. I, if you want to come to a kid's birthday party, I can introduce you directly. But I've made would that be weird? I would. I love cake. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> no more weird than if there's any footage of me like slowly thinking about you while this person was talking to me. So, you know, I mean, all you'll do is increase the uh, increase the social interaction here. We've got so much warrior stuff to talk to you. Um, and why don't we start with the segment we always do. It's our class half full. We normally use this to look back at Warriors basketball. No Warriors basketball to look back on, but you know, a little bit of news and, and some random things that have come out. And this is the one that caught my attention. Maxime, if we've got that clip from Draymond's pod, let's play it here. A huge three in the you know in the fourth quarter tonight, and it's like none of those guys on Miami are 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 sitting there saying, "Well, I didn't play," or "Man, they put in so and so." Like they're just all about winning, and and you know this from from our our groups that we've had when when you when you have that championship mentality, every guy's bought in, every guy's just trying to win. Nobody, nobody cares about any of that stuff. You don't go into the locker room, you know, saying, well, I should have played more. You just, you just want to win. And that's the beauty of finding that magic when you have a championship team is that everybody's bought in and it makes the decisions for the coach um, really simple. You just go with, go with your gut and go with whoever's playing well. A huge three. So in that clip, Steve Sturz talking about Miami, but the reason has gotten some traction here is because we think he might be talking about Golden State, but I won't put words in your mouth. Kareth, you hear that. What are your first thoughts? Well, my first thought is I've been taking a break from the internet, so that's the first time I've heard it. Um, and I don't, I, from my eyebrow probably arched because I can't really hold my emotions too close to the chest. Um, as far as playing time goes, it made me think of the old strength and numbers championship team. And then maybe, and I, I really don't think, I think Kerr was just speaking off the top of his head. I don't think that was a pointed message to Jordan Poole, perhaps, or Jonathan Kaminga, perhaps, yeah. or J. Michael Green, perhaps. But I can understand why that would be something that Warriors fans read into a little bit. And, and toward the end of the season, as maybe there were small leaks about players who, who wanted to show more about what they could do, who wanted more opportunity, um, yeah, I could see how a coach might say, maybe you guys were focused on the individual during the playoffs where it has to be all about team. Uh, MT, uh, have you heard that? And what were your thoughts? Have you already had? Um, I hadn't heard that. And my thoughts on it were, it's, it's a lot easier to say that when you're winning. I think if the Warriors were in the finals and had just stolen the game, um, from Denver, then, you know, everybody would be saying their minutes were fine and we're all in it. So once you lose, you know, like if Miami ends up losing the series, it'll be interesting to see if that same mentality is carried through and what the exit interviews unveil. Kareth's yeah. take kind of helped me process that emotionally on my end. So I'll admit, I'll be honest with everybody. When I first heard it, I was positive he was talking to a specific where. There's no question. About it. And to be fair, it, it was all processed that way because every clip you see on Twitter, that's its headline. You know, the secret message to the young player. I mean, so I took the messaging before I actually took the message. So maybe that's what impacted me. But I was confident he was talking about somebody. And then hearing Kareth say, I don't think that was aimed at anyone, makes me view it from a different lens in, in this. Um, there's been criticism thrown towards Kerr, but nobody has criticized his communication ability. The, the one thing I think everybody would say is that he's great at managing personalities and specific to that locker room. I would be really shocked if this is the medium he chose to get that message across. You know, yeah. someone who's that good at communicating to his players decides to go through someone else's podcast unless he's already had this call and he's he's underlining it publicly. But I don't know. For the, for the first time, I'm thinking, no, it was just happenstance. Maxime, where are you on this? <laughs> I, I think that that's all fair and right. And especially in the context of what's going on here, you know, this is... 20 minutes into a conversation between Draymond and Steve Kerr, who are both incredible basketball minds, really just breaking down the NBA finals. So I think by this point, Steve Kerr is primed not to not really be thinking about his own, you know, coaching or his team or whatever. And so I think to Kareth's point, it probably was pretty off the cuff talking about what he's seeing. And yet there is some component of this that is based on learned history right? Steve Kerr just went through a season where they didn't make it for the first time when Klay Thompson was healthy to the NBA finals in Steve Kerr's run. 
This is this is a pretty big change from what Kerr is used to, and so you know he's been spending a lot of time thinking about what he might have wanted to do differently. And so the fact that this is one of those things that surfaced, sure, even if it was off the cuff and primarily talking about Miami, there's got to be some there to it, and not just because a bunch of people on Twitter are trying to label it as, oh, is he actually talking sub, um, you know, like with subtweets to Jordan Poole? I think this is really there's something there is something to this that, about the Warriors team specifically. Yeah, I think, yeah, as you assess the hallmarks of a championship team, and that's something the Warriors have had to do this offseason, you know, getting getting the bench involved and engaged, keeping them engaged, being a manager as a coach. Because I feel like there are position coaches in the NBA. There are a lot of development coaches there. So your head coach is sort of like your public-facing guy, obviously, the, the figurehead of the team. And he wants everybody to be on board. He manages personalities. Bram, I really like the point you made about Kerr as a communicator because he keeps going back to the fact that when he was playing, he was that guy on the bench. He didn't want to languish on the bench. Check in with your bench guys because they can help the health of the team. If they're satisfied, that helps the whole team be harmonious. So I think this was Steve Kerr probably saying heat culture without using the words heat culture in that moment, talking about the finals on a finals podcast with Draymond. Take me through your initial reaction, Kareth, when you first heard it. And then he said, I don't think it's aimed at them. Why? For the reasons we've already said, what was the initial, you know, this is probably not personal. For the reasons that we, that we yeah. probably said. Yeah. And, and maybe we can even put in Moses Moody in here too, um, as somebody who probably wanted more playing time, but you know, you've got some guys who, I think did very well. Let's say three young guys, JK, Moody, and Poole, who at least publicly, at least until the very end, did very good if they had personal grumbles about their playing time, did not air that through media, did not air that through leaks. So I see that as a, a maturity factor of wanting to keep all of that stuff internal. I mean, you've got JK and Moody who became champions for the first time, Poole as well, but he did that in his third season. He was a little bit older. When you win a championship as a rookie, you want to hit year two like, I am the shit. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. Sorry. You <laughs> absolutely like, fucking can. So oh, God. I'm okay, sorry. But it's like, I am the man. I am Ireland. high on myself. I want to show you what I can do in year two. And neither of them really had that acceleration in, yep. in year two. And, and that mm-hmm. was a lot because of Kerr's decisions. So I like the spirit of guys who want to play more. I don't think anybody should be satisfied with being on the end of the bench. I, th- I hope they have that hunger, provided that hunger fits inside a big picture of what your team is trying to accomplish. Yep. Marcus, have you heard that? If you were JK, if you were JP, if you're just a member of the Warriors team and that clip happens to make its way to your computer, do you take it hard? I mean, what what would be your, uh, your emotional response? I mean, I agree. I think at the end of the day, Steve Kerr is smart enough and emotionally intelligent enough with his players for them to know he's not going to communicate them through a podcast, even if it's Draymond's podcast. So I don't think that they took it any type of way. Um, but, you know, like, like Kyle Connery said, like playing time is the biggest indicator of how a coach feels. And, um, you know, it's tough. I mean, you see Christian Braun playing for the Nuggets and, um, you know, like JK and, and, um, pool, you know, had different roles throughout the regular season. So it's just tough to, to see the minutes go down that drastically in a situation when you don't win and you felt like you could have helped. So they probably took it emotionally, but only because of their age, not because of the situation. And I mean, to echo Kareth, we haven't heard anything specifically public. They haven't come out and said we hated our roles. Right. So there's nothing, there's nothing right there, but I'll also as the, resonant crazy person on this show who has emotional reactions to things I shouldn't. I can tell you that even if the message wasn't immediately aimed at me, but it impact me, I could take it hard. Let me give you a stupid example. Marcus, let me say I, I have you over for dinner and I serve you fish and you're hell of nice. Eat it. Fine. We have a great conversation. There's no comments about the fish. Absolutely at all. Fast forward a week. You're on a different podcast. You're not talking about me and you reveal to that person. I hate fish. I hate <laughs> fish. When I hear it, even though you're not talking about me, you know, even though it's not aimed to me and even though you did everything right internally, I'm like, fuck, what does he mean? He hates fish, dude. Like we just did that. Was that? And so I would have a reaction, 
you know, I, I don't know. Um, they haven't come they haven't served him fish. This analogy isn't, you know, complete entirely, but even if he wasn't aiming that message at them, I can see the contents of the message, you know, ruffling some feathers. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what the hell happens. Let me transition it into this. And I'm going to, let me put this to you, Kara. Frustrating season. You know, we, we've talked about it. Um, we've seen that frustration from a fan standpoint. I think we saw it in some of the players. How hard of a season, and this is a guess, you're not reporting this just as someone who was there. How frustrating of a year do you think this was for Steve? I think it, I think it was frustrated and territory he really hasn't been in because this was a 500 season. And when there are, maybe a total of 12 to 15 post-game press conferences where he's talking about the same darn things every time. Like you, you can make mistakes, but you hope that you learn from those mistakes. But some of the repetitive things that the Warriors went through this season, maybe with their, their shot, shot selection, individual players going through some things, sure. the fouling, the chirping at refs about the fouling, the turnovers, things that they can control. And when you see that happening time and time again, and then just maybe having two steps forward, one step back, just 500, which is average, being the level all season. Yep. Yeah, I think this was one of his most frustrating seasons. You can look at the 15 and 50 season when yep. they had the worst record in the league, but everybody knew what that season was. This season, when you come into it as defending champs, when you still have your core, when you still have you know, guys in their primes that will be all-time Hall of Fame players, maybe you don't expect this, the kind yeah. of shoot-yourself-in-the-foot kind of plays. And then you can also look at, well, how does Steve Kerr manage this kind of stuff? The central conflict, once again, to me this season, was how do you honor Steph, Clay, and Draymond in their primes? How do you make sure the team is winning enough to honor this all-time trio um, who can propel you to a championship, never count these guys out, versus, again, the development that some of the younger guys needed. Yep. I saw Steve Kerr prioritize wins, which is what you should do as a coach. But then it comes at the expense of seeing how much JK right. can succeed or Moses Moody and, and second-guessing those things of, well, why weren't these guys playing all along? Yep. Why did we see so much of the two-way players? I don't know that I want to talk about Anthony Lamb ever again. Okay. Uh, he, he served his, his purpose. I wish him well. Goodbye. <sighs> Goodbye. Um, let me just end it there. I'll end it there. Uh, smartly <laughs> done. Um, and I'll avoid that rabbit hole as well. All Thanks. instead, um, I'm going to certify and in fact agree with I think it was Kerr's most frustrating season. And I'm going to bleed it into something we talked about last week. So, Kareth, one of the things we kind of explored last week is what would be harder? And we were looking at the, the Boston Celtics fans' experience. Would it be harder to go through a sweep? Or would it be harder to go 3-0, scream back, you're almost right there, and then you lose game seven? The analogy for Kerr for me, that 15-50 and 50 year, you know, when Steph got hurt, that's yeah. the sweep. You know, they, they, that, that season was lost almost immediately. Yeah, it was almost yeah. merciful that COVID yeah. came in. Okay, that's exactly in, right. In basket, in sports terms, like, please not overall large, we're in a pandemic and people died. But it was just like, <laughs> mercy. The season <laughs> needed to end. Everybody knew it was going to end. Playoffs were not going to happen. Mercy. Absolutely right. And it probably, I mean, it sucked, but it wasn't frustrating. There was no expectations. You didn't have a player. You were going to lose that year. This year, you know, that every time you wanted to write it off, They'd, they'd have a little bit of a win streak. They'd show signs of life. They would remind you, you know, Warriors culture, and we've got these three Hall of Famers, and it's still possible. And then it still didn't happen. I think that, you know, that's the recipe for some really frustrating stuff, which is what it is. Um, MT, do you agree? Kerr's most frustrating season. I think so, but I think he gets a little bit of a pass, at least in my book, because of the injuries and just the the lineup and who was available. You got to remember like Clay wasn't allowed to play back-to-back -back games um, for a majority of the season. Wiggins was out for personal reasons. Even Chenzo was sick and, you know, and out for a handful of games. J. Michael Green, J. Michael Green had that weird leg infection, 
you know, and then came back and couldn't shoot and pretend like he, he had Markel Fultz's syndrome. So I think, you know, there's, there's, I think a little to be said to the fact that Kerr had to manage um, different lineups. And it was why we re- we relied on Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb so heavily to kind of get us through and, you know, hit big shots for us. And, um, you know, like some of the people are saying in the comments for the first time in a while, Kerr has had to um, coach in a different way and actually work um, throughout the regular season. So um, I think it was frustrating for him, but not because he was not willing to change, but because there were so, so many factors that were out of his control that um, played into the regular season just being up and down. Yeah, makes sense. Let's go to our golden questions. Kareth, it's our mailbag. Um, always deals with the Warriors, occasionally gets personal. This one does both. And here's our first quote. Who in the Warriors organization with the loss of Bob Myers impact the most and why? And then they gave us three options. Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Don't limit yourself to that field if your answer is outside of it. But what do you think? Who gets hit by this the nastiest? I think the players are are mostly fine, especially Steph and Draymond. They're they're established. Um, and while they talk to a GM, it's not an everyday thing. So I think the answer here is Steve Kerr. I, he and Bob Myers had a very close relationship. Um, if they didn't talk every day, it was something close. So the absence of Bob means that there's a void in between Steve, Bob, and Joe. You need that buffer. Bob was that buffer. Without it, maybe, maybe we don't know how involved Joe Lakup is, but I think we can take a guess that it's a lot. You know, when he says at that Bob Myers press conference that he talked to Bob five to 20 times a day, that is an indication of a very involved owner. Then you need ownership and general management and coach, at least aligned on vision. They all need the autonomy to do their jobs as they see fit without, you know, micromanaging, but they all have to have the same vision and communication. And I think this changes the dynamic a little bit from Kerr. What is going to be coming from on high? How strong is it? And is there someone there like an umbrella over his head that can at least filter that down or shield him from some of the owner's enthusiasm and passion. <laughs> you know what no one has said, and this is just a, a wild observation by me, but we're all trying to figure out why Myers left. I know he said family, and I've got a take on that in a second. But one of the unfounded guesses is, well, how involved is like, uh, and how involved is the ownership? And one of the things that stuck out to me was that Myers and uh, Legob were both up on that dais during Myers' goodbye conference. I, I mean, what the hell was Lakeup doing up there? You know, it's like even just that if we're trying to figure out how involved he was, he was involved as Myers was leaving literally in the press conference, which I'm, I'm not any more of an indication than I'm looking too closely. Um, uh, let me add this. Who do I think it's going to impact the most? I'm going to agree with you, Kareth, and I'm going to add another line to it in Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, and we said this already, is phenomenal at, at managing relationships. So was Bob Myers especially with this group of guys. We had a scene during the Sacramento series where Draymond was really frustrated coming back to the bench, passed the coaching staff, and then gave us a story, and there was film that accompanied it, where Bob Myers had come down from wherever it was that guy was waving the cowbell in his ear and said two or three sentences to Draymond, which reinvigorated him and pushed him right back into the huddle. That kind of stuff only comes from someone who's got an amazing relationship and an ability Mm -hmm. to weaponize it. Whoever they bring in, Mike Dunley, whoever they bring in, they're not going to immediately have that relationship. You can't. That's something that's built over you know a decade. And so losing that and Steve Kerr losing another pair of eyes and ears that can help manage these relationships, there's no way it doesn't hit him. And so I, I do. I think my answer to that is Kerr. Uh, boys, who do you got? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's also Kerr, and I uh, I got a, a couple of things to share, right? I think, um, you know, maybe a little bit of, of context, a little bit of pro and, and con, you know, on on the, I guess, con side first, just because we're already here, right? And this report, um, share a quote that he's talking about, Steve Kerr saying, uh, he hired me, he was, here, he was here before I was, I don't know what it's going to be like without him. There's already a really hollow feeling just knowing he's not going to be in the building every day. That's you don't like to hear the words hollow feeling, especially when you're thinking about the type of a job. This is not a 40 hour a week job. If you're the coach of an NBA team, it's like a 40 hour a day job. Um, so, but then on the, on the flip side, you know, and I don't know 
I don't have much context about this, Kareth. Maybe you do, or you know, um, maybe you guys do too. I don't know. But uh, right on the on the podcast that he did with Kawakami, Kerr talked about Mike Dunleavy Jr. and and talked about how he and Bob Myers are best friends, and so now through Bob Myers, he's gotten to know Mike pretty well. That's to the point that we're frequently talking and calling each other. Now, maybe that's something that is just what you do when you're planning to, you know, have a, a career now going forward with a different person is you start to build that relationship. But I sort of liked the color of saying, oh, actually, yeah, Bob Myers and Mike Dunleavy Jr. already have a great relationship. And so, you know, as as the sort of the handoff happens, at least it's from a friend to a friend. And again, this is under the assumption that Mike Dunleavy is the guy. Anyways, it's a bit tangential to what we're talking about, but I think there's so much emotion wrapped up in this. And I think, Kareth, to your point, that the players don't talk to the GM every day. This is totally, I mean, this is basically Steve Kerr's boss who is now getting replaced. You can imagine it being a pretty traumatic event. Yeah, well, everybody wants to know who they're working for and what that person's communication style is like. How do they show when they're upset? Um, You know, you don't really know somebody until you go through conflict with them. Mm. Um, I believe Mike Dunleavy Jr. started in 2019. Did he start having a role with the team? So it's been a few years now. And if he is the heir apparent, then at least there's been a little bit of a ramp up. You know, Max, as you mentioned, you know, he's gotten to know the players. He's gotten to know Steve a little bit. So it's not shocking that this completely new guy is coming in. He does have experience with the Warriors. That is a topic in itself, uh, as I've been reading some fans having uh, mixed feelings about this, but at least he's somebody who knows the organization, clearly knows basketball. Uh, It's not some rando off the street. So should it be Dunleavy Jr., I hope he gets a chance at least, but I just, I, I don't know. And I'm really intrigued how soon that decision comes. If Bob is done on June 30th, do we learn on July 1 who it is? Do the Warriors give it a little bit of time? Maybe after the 4th of July weekend. I just don't know. But this person has a lot of off-season work to do. A lot. So I feel like we're going to learn who it is sooner rather than later. As a random aside, um, as someone who's worried about this, if they have decided it's Mike Dunleavy, tell us. Tell us right now. Tell us right now. I mean, start underlining that, yes, no, this guy, this change is um, an unfortunate decision we have to make right now, but it's one we've been preparing for since 2019. And this guy knows the guys and we, we have so much love for him. And we have so much trust. Tell us that now. You know, don't. All of this unease and uncertainty isn't backing his resume. You know, like if, if you do know it, then let's start celebrating it right now. Um, MT, what do you think? Who does this impact? Um, I agree with the group that it's Steve Kerr the most. I was holding out hope that there was going to be this weird timeline and it's just going to all work out where Monty Williams didn't agree to the Pistons job. Steve Kerr decided to pull a Brad Stevens and become the GM and Monty Williams uses his relationship with Steve Kerr from Team USA and says, I'll come coach the Warriors with you. Mm. Um, so obviously that's not going to happen with Monty signing such a big contract with the Pistons, but um, would you do it, Luke? There's some version of that that happens. I think you know we're not that many years removed from when Steve Kerr had so much pain in his back from his surgery that he couldn't even sit on the bench, um, and he talked about it and like it was a possibility that it could end his coaching career. So um, I think him moving up and becoming that buffer might be you know, a plausible solution, like you mentioned, Kareth. And um, he has a relationship with the players. He can, you know, be the one to talk to Joe Lacob five to 20 times a day. And then we bring on a a coach, you know, whether that's Kenny Atkinson, who's, you know, an established head coach or bringing in somebody um, new. I think there's still an option for that, but, um, you know, it's, we won't know until July, obviously. Can I say, actually, I'm not sure, even though Steve Kerr has, you know, that sort of front office experience with the Suns, I'm not sure at this point in his career, he wants those problems. Huh. Yeah, that, that's actually my first thing. I think coaching has been his pool for a really long time and very successful. Next season will be his 10th season. I don't think Kerr is leaving, by the way. I think he's coming back. Um, the GM stuff was interesting to me, but when I first heard it, I was like, I don't think that's what Kerr does at this stage in his career. He has done everything in basketball, and he gets to pick at this point. And I actually think if he were to leave coaching and he didn't, you know, what would his next step be? 
I wonder if he would go back to broadcasting simply for the schedule, yeah. having a little bit more fun with it. <laughs> it's it's not not as intense as coaching. You get to pick your schedule a little bit. You get to be around the game, talk about all the players. That I think would be his next move. I, I don't see him going back to the front office. Actually, here's like a little uh, trend. My dream, but I like it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it gives me a chance to be transparent with you, Kareth, and show you how desperate I am to impress you. So, as Marcus was saying that, my plan was to bust him out. We talked about that last week. He doesn't know that, and the reason I was going to do that is because I wanted to impress you. Like, no, this was my idea, and that's exactly what. And then when you said no, I don't see that coming. I've decided, nope, what a stupid idea. Oh, and I'm definitely but, not going to bring it up. So, you know what I, mean? I could be idea, Marcus. I totally could be surprised. I actually, so I think Kerr heading into his tenth season next season, he would be due an extension. But I definitely think he coaches next year. I think that carries him into 2024. That's the Olympic team. That's into Paris. And then if Kerr has to make a decision, because he, this even is aligned with how I feel, like Bob arrived at his decision. We all ask ourselves in very intense jobs, is it worth it? And then sometimes you reach a tipping point or you're just tired. And it's hard to, it's hard to explain to people, nothing is wrong per se. I just feel something stirring inside myself saying, this isn't the right situation anymore. It's like when you're trying to break up with somebody in the most peaceful way possible. You're like, I know I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. There's nothing terrible and wrong I can point to, but it's just a satisfaction level. So I think emotionally, for whatever reason, Bob arrived at that emotional reason, whether it was, you know, feeling swallowed by the job, feeling like it was too much of his identity, missing his children or whatever, like really, we don't know, but we all make those assessments daily in our lives. Is it worth it? And I just, listening to Steve Kerr, even through the frustration of last season, I don't think he's arrived at that point where he doesn't think this is not enjoyable anymore. I, I see some more years here for Steve Kerr. That makes sense. And translation, Marcus, stupid idea. Too bad. No, Marcus, that's Too not what I'm you. No, I'm sorry. I, it was me saying it all last week. So no, of course I, I, I like both the idea and the response. And I'm going to have you one more take on uh on bob myers and then i'll give us a new question here but i've been watching ted lasso a show i absolutely like it brings me close to tears almost every time i watch it and i won't spoil it for anybody but one of the ongoing themes is uh missing a family member and how that impacts the uh your professional job and i did a little bit of of really quick stupid research here's what i learned bob myers has three kids didn't know that the oldest of which is 12 and the other thing i learned having looked it up is that Myers has been a GM for 11 years. So 11 of the 12 years his oldest has been alive, he has two other kids. Rest of this is personal. This has nothing to do with Bob. I've never had this conversation with Bob. I never will. The whole thing, it goes fast. I got a seven-year-old. I can tell you it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how fast it goes. And if I had a 12-year-old looked up and realized, ooh, I've missed a lot of this, 11 of 12 years, and then look back and I had two more kids up on the same trajectory, that analysis, the chances of me leaving and trying to grasp whatever I had left of those other two would happen so fast and so suddenly. And once you made that call, once you realize, I mean, let me put it a different way. The only thing that can make your kid's youth go faster is missing it. You know, and if he missed 11 of the 12 years, then there's a great chance that for me, that would play an enormous role in going back. So again, I haven't talked to Bob, didn't know that, but we've we've guessed on his motivations. And before when I was dropping those guesses, I didn't know that. I didn't know that 11 of the 12 years, I mean, I, that that is pertinent information for me. So for what it's worth, we'll throw that into the mic. Our second question, quote, please play GM karaoke with these trades. So this thing contemplates that, you know, we've got no GM for a little while here. Maybe we will immediately. But as of right now, we're, we, we don't have somebody making all the decisions. So let's assume, I'm sure it's not happening, but that the, the uh, phone is ringing off the hook. Lacob picks it up. He gets these trade offers, doesn't know what to do. So he's contacting us. He wants to know how we would deal with these suggested trades. Here's the first. The Lakers offer us Austin Reeves, and Jared Vanderbilt for Jordan Poole. So I've done the research. The numbers, it, they're a little hard to determine because Austin Reeves has not yet, you know, he's going to have a new contract coming up. But it's within the realm of possibilities. This is something that they could maybe pull off even under uh, the CBA. Um, Marcus, why don't you take this one first? 
So you are now, Lakeham calls you, not sure what to do with this. Would you trade Jordan Poole for Austin Reeves and Jared Vanderbilt? I would if we're on the Warriors side. I don't think there's any chance the Lakers would do it though. They wouldn't they wouldn't give up on Reeves. I don't know. I don't know if they would trade Reeves straight up for Poole, let alone throw in Vanderbilt. So um, but I would do it in a heartbeat. I, th I think it solves both things. You get the offensive Reeves and the defensive Vanderbilt and two players for one. So I would do it, but I don't I think the Lakers hang up on me before I can finish telling them I won't do it. Peel Vanderbilt off. How about it's just Reeves? Just Reeves for Jordan Poole. Would you still do it? And then, you know, look at it from the Lakers as well. Um, I don't. I, I know Jordan Poole had a rough season. He, or at least postseason, um, and he defied many experts and somehow got worse on defense um, over the past few years. But, um, you know, his work ethic was still there. He still is the player who was in the G League and came up and, you know, earned the contract and was averaging almost 20 points a game. And, um, you know, in the conversation of six players, six man of the year. So um, I don't think that work ethic was a fluke. I think he just needs to channel it now towards the other side of, of um, the game and the defensive side and on the offensive side, just slowing down. Like, like Iggy said to him, like, he beats a guy four different times before he decides to go shoot the ball. And it's like, you only have to beat him once. Not every play has to be, you know, a top 10 highlight reel or get the whole crowd to say, Ooh, and embarrass somebody like just go score the ball. You can have one of those every couple games, but um, so I don't do it. I think there's still some room for improvement and pool's work ethic has me a believer that he can still turn it around. What do you think, Kareth? What's your initial impression? As far as pool for Reeves, that's really interesting to me, but I'll, I'll tell you why the Warriors wouldn't do it. It, it feels like just kind of like a little carousel swap. Yeah. Um, we saw great Reeves in the postseason, by the way. This was an excellent season for Reeves. But isn't this exactly how we felt about Jordan Poole the last championship season in, in year three? So the Warriors, I don't think, would make this trade because they're going to go for homegrown loyalty. Mm. That's, you know, I can piggyback on what MT was saying a little bit. When Jordan Poole gives you 82 games this season, availability is very important. When you know his track record and his work ethic and everything he's built from that rookie season, that was rough for him and rough for the team. But the work he's done, going to the G League, that sort of thing, making all these kind of gains. Now, I was looking up some notes on Jordan Poole this year, and there's a pros list and there is a cons list. Um, but in the pros list, uh, he averaged the most points of his career. He averaged the most assists of his career this season. He had more than 200 threes this season, and he played all 82. I mean, that's that's a big deal. If we want to talk about the cons list, it's his turnovers. I think he was fifth overall like for total turnovers in the league. Of course, that does carry through 82. The other guys didn't play 82. And then he didn't make those defensive gains that you know the, the coaches were talking about at the beginning of the season. The defense was suspect at times. And then, yeah, he's out plays himself we know you've got a good handle man but just go for it just attack we know you've got this in this uh, in you so you can you can simplify a little bit jordan i was thinking about the the storylines at the start of the season where the warriors were hoping they could plant the seeds the jordan pool is somebody to watch out for as sixth man of the year and that kind of evaporated pretty quickly so some inconsistency for jordan pool as far as whether he's valuable on the trade market I don't know. I, I think as a homegrown guy, the Warriors know what they have with him. Yeah. I think they believe in him a lot more than the fan base does. We know the Warriors are patient with their players, fans would argue, to a detriment you're too yeah. patient. Mm -hmm. But I think Jordan Poole is going to get a lot more grace from the team than he does from the fan base. I think that makes sense. Um, let's see, addressing it from the top. So I think you're right. Vanderbilt comes off. I mean, he's not going to be part of that offer. So my counter would be they uh, offer a new hairstyle for Austin Reeves and a neurologist for Jordan Poole's falling. If, if they put that in the deal, I'm at least considering it. Um, would I make the trade now? No. You can't trade him now. I've made this joke slash analogy before, but trading Poole right now is like trying to sell a car after you've crashed it. You, you have to rehab his value. You, you couldn't pick a worst time to, to even consider Poole's trade value, and you got to give him a chance to use that legendary work ethic and get back to the skill set we've seen to at least reestablish who he could be for another team. 
Um, so they've got my attention. And this Reeves pool thing got a little burn from the off guard podcast a few weeks ago. I think Austin Rivers gave a big breakdown about why he thought pools ceiling was higher, but Austin Reeves floor was higher. And, and I think some of that is true. Um, but I would not, not right now. doesn't make any sense. I would not make the trade. Uh, let me give you another one. Maxine, why don't you give us your first take on this? So we all checked out the trade machine after Boston's exit. It's a little faster for me when they got down 3-0. It's uh, less pressing now. But, you know, Boston is on fire with, they probably can't keep both Jays. Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum is most likely out of there with Jalen Brown being the more likely of the two. He'd need a brand new contract. So we're talking a max player. But to make that money work, here's the suggested trade. Jalen Brown and Mal uh, Malcolm Brogdon. For Wiggins, Poole, Kaminga, Dante on a side and trade to make the money work, and a first rounder. Maxime, what do you think? Okay, that's a that's a lot. Um, that's a lot, both just in terms of a list of players, but also in terms of you know really important people moving around, right? I think we just had a conversation about Jordan Poole. There is something if we distill this down to a conversation about Jordan Poole and Jalen Brown. There's, there's something compelling at its essence in that, as opposed to Austin Reeves, who just probably had his best postseason that you could possibly imagine, Jalen Brown had maybe his worst postseason. And it, selling low sort of is an equivalent exchange here between these two franchises. And yet, we're now talking about Wiggins, who I think we all admitted in last year's championship was our second best player. That's a pretty big, especially when he's like, what, 28 years old? Um, he's right smack in the middle of these two eras, and I think is a really, really important piece. I think he's way more important than the uh, lack of noise would give him credit for. Lack of his own noise, I mean, right? He's not a very feisty, fiery player, and I think that belies how important he is to this fan base, or to this franchise, rather. But most importantly, we talked a little bit about this last time, as why Myers probably is not very excited about working uh, under this new CBA, we're dealing with an issue where you kind of have to, as an organization, build around two max player slots. If Jalen Brown, I think the Warriors are looking at this and they're they're hanging up right away because there's just there's just no way that we can have Jalen Brown, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and Draymond Green on the same roster, and you know you're not going to pick. Jalen Brown over any of those three homegrown names to Kareth's point. And so I just, I, I don't see how that's going to work. I think you have to make moves a little bit more around the margins. Kareth, similar thoughts. What do you think? Does Jalen Brown interest you? I think, I think in a season when the Warriors saw how important defense was and they didn't get it all the time, yep. I'm not sure they would say goodbye to one of their best defensive players, Wiggins. Oh. One of the guys who falls into that bridge category of you've got the, the old guy group, the young guy group, and then you have the folks in the middle. But Wiggins is a very impactful player. It was really regrettable that he missed more than 20 games this season with that personal matter. And then I actually think Joe Lacob might come into play here. He really liked Wiseman, and he had to give up Wiseman. And he really likes Jonathan Kaminga. So I don't, I don't see Joe Lacob being happy about giving up a second young prospect so close to Wiseman. I just, I don't, I know the trade machine says this works financially, but I don't know if it works for the team on the other levels. Yeah, uh, that makes sense to me. And I mean, looking just at the contracts, if Jalen Brown's going to cost 50 and Ooh. Wiggins is going to cost beneath 25 million, the, the, you know, Jalen Brown is not twice the player that Wiggins is. And you could use that other 25 million pretty effectively to bring in a lot of other help. Um, all right, boys, I'm going to combine two things I know. One, that Kareth does not like fake trades. And two, <laughs> that we're desperate for offseason content. So because of that, I'm going to have you boys save the two fake trades that you put together. We're going to call this a tease. We will explore that. Um, on our next podcast. And instead, I'm going to push us to the end of this one. It's our Judgment Theater. So, Kareth, you've done one of these with us before. This is looking at a scenario, and uh, we are giving how we would handle that scenario. But instead of just responding directly, we're going to guess how each of us would, uh, would interact with it. It's completely up to you if you want us to guess with you. You can see how we handle the, uh, the first couple. The scenario is this. We are in trade rumors, right? So we heard throughout the year 
that Jalen Brown got pissed off at Boston, supposedly because Boston ventured into at least considered a trade for KD and Brooklyn, and that that's kind of impacted how he's viewed Boston, and maybe, just maybe it'll lead to him leaving. So for this Judgment Theater, we are playing for a team, and our name becomes involved in trade rumors. How would we handle it? Take me first, boys. So I, I hear it. I'm still playing for the team. I know that they're considering leaving me or having me leave them. What do you think? How do I handle it? Terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell I me think more. You, I think you, you say all the right things at first, and then once you continue to get hammered and once Kareth has to ask you again for the 10th time how you feel about <laughs> it, that you just crack and you're just like, look, if they don't want me here, then I want to go somewhere that I, I, I want to be wanted. And you hit hit the team with one of those lines, and then it's just a standoff, and it becomes a little contentious until you you go where you want to go. Maxime, yeah, I, I agree. I, I I don't know exactly what it is, but you're you're starting to get more and more ridiculous. Like in your pregame routines, after this stuff comes out, you're just like chucking half court shots, you know, <laughs> and generally like moping around with headphones on, saying this is bullshit or whatever. But you do start by saying, ah, it's just a business, you know. I know how all this stuff. Like, come on, like. You know, I'm a vet in this league. I know how it is. It's it's all good. You know, I'm I'm uh you know, I appreciate what this fan base and this franchise has done for me, but you're not happy about it. Kara, finish out our guesses. Are are you in a situation where there's good communication on the team? Is your boss communicating with you? Okay. Cause because if, if you're they're handling it as, as well as possible. Yep, they've talked to me about it. They've done it in in as mature of a, a fashion as possible. Okay, that's encouraging because I players can tune that stuff out. The problem is their family brings it to them. Their their friends bring it to them. Like, hey man, did you see this? It's like even by best intentions, if they try to build a wall, other people penetrate that wall for them. So at least you won't be caught off guard. If you know that it's coming, then you can make your public response. <laughs> Personal response, everybody wants to be loved. And if you learn that somebody wants to send you away, that's hard to deal with. So how much of a baby are you going to be about it? Yeah. So I can answer this and I can give you real a huge baby, um, but I can I'll give you real world context. So uh, before the firm I'm currently working for, I work for a different one. And they had trial teams. So even though we're all part of one firm, they handled different cases and there, there was four of us. And after working for one team for about six to eight months, they traded my ass and it Aww. wasn't immediate. I heard about it. So how would I deal with it? I feel like Marcus read my fucking diary from that time. So <laughs> as it, you know, if the two things are, you're either motivated by it or depressed by it. I was both before it actually happened when I was still on the team that, you know, that I knew was going to be trading me. I was pissy and I, I didn't handle it weird. I handled it passive aggressively. Like to anyone who would bring it up to me, like, yeah, I sure did like working for this team, but I guess that wasn't mutual. I mean, like all these <laughs> random unnecessary comments to anyone who would listen. I was definitely held back for a couple of months. And then to my credit, once they'd made the switch, I was super motivated. Fuck that old team. I wanted, you know, I wanted them to be like super upset and realize that they had lost something. And my work product did go up. But so both. I was yeah. a psychopath, passive aggressive, and then ultimately motivated. Off I went. Um, all right, Marcus, let's go you, buddy. Uh, I think you're similar to me, but I think you would handle that first part with a little bit more class. I don't think there'd be the passive aggression. I don't think, you know, I, I think you'd be a little bit more quiet. I don't think you would be normally or as personal as you normally are. I think you'd, you'd, you'd shut down some of the interactions, but I think when the trade was ultimately made, you would definitely do better. I don't think you would do better until the trade was made, though. I think you'd be held back the same way I was. Maxine, what's your guess? God, I, I didn't know that you were going to end there because that's exactly what I was thinking this whole time, right? I, I think the process of making it happen uh, would be very difficult for Marcus. But the, the end result, if Marcus is the type of person that would, it doesn't matter what the scenario is, he would like make lemonade out of lemons. It would mm -hmm. always be a better situation where he ended up. And so maybe, you know, I, I think there's also another question of like, is this the first time that, that the name has been brought up, whoever it is in this conversation in trade rumors? Or like, are we on our like third or fourth trade, right? Because you can learn from past experiences and get to a place where you're like, no, nah, I know what this is like. And trust me, this is going to be a good thing in the end. I should have added that, by the way, just as a random aside to, to the last one. Mike, if you're still out there listening, that's the guy I was traded for on the other trial team. I'll hate you forever. <laughs> you were terrible, and that team went way down with you, buddy, and we all do it. All right. Uh, 
Kareth, what's your guess on Marcus? All right. I just met Marcus today in this podcast, but first impression, the vibes are right. And I think Marcus, are you a guy who is really like, I can only control what I can control? Yeah. Annoying. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Annoying. I mean, the ongoing theme, Kareth, so that you know, whenever we do this, generally, it doesn't matter what the topic is. Generally speaking, the reaction to me is, oh, what's the worst thing you get? That's what you're doing. And then with Marcus, it doesn't matter how long they've known him. What's the mature way? Oh, that's what you're doing. <laughs> All right, Marcus, or mature Marcus, how do you handle it? <laughs> mature Marcus. You're right. I, I would say all the right things, um, partly because you don't want to impact your next employment opportunity. Um, but also, you know, to Kara's point, I think it's a great question of, is there good communication? If there's good communication and, you know, it's just not the right fit then, you know, it's not the right fit. Um, you know, if there's poor communication, then I hit him with the Marshawn Lynch and I just say, I'm just here so I won't get fined every time. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I'll follow this up when we go off air, but Kareth, if you'd like to trade for Marcus, the <laughs> I mean, the, you know, whatever, we'll, we'll talk about this later. We don't need to explore this at all, but I mean, he could be a good asset for Deb's talk, but again, oh, I think so. come shadow me one day. Let, let's see what it's like. <laughs> Which brings us to Maxime. I'll go quick with you, Maxime. You are, uh, you'll take it as hard as me. Um, you'll be pissy. You won't, you won't say anything passive aggressively, but you'll be pissy when it's announced. You'll be pissy when it happens. Your work product will be Fine. I think you will ultimately be motivated by it, but will you take it hard? Yes. Yes, you will. Yeah, I think he takes it hard. I, I think he also starts a bunch of great trade rumors on his own from burner accounts and, and <laughs> leaves up the process so that he can get out of there. <laughs> you mean like after it's been announced, like the functional clip is like, I think he's being traded for Antetokounmpo or maybe Luca. It's a fair trade. <laughs> Weird. And the burners are all super obvious. Not Maxime is the name of the account. Well, not Maxime no. says. That's really smart. You're boosting your own value there. <laughs> I am really smart. You're right. That's pretty good. <laughs> Maxime, how much do you love the team that you're on? What if part of you wants an escape? It's a great point. It's a great point. I think no matter what, as soon as I hear the trade rumor, it's not the team I want to be on. So pretty instant, instant hate there, I'd say. You're taking it hard. For sure you're taking it hard. 100% oh. I'm taking it hard. Listen, oh. I, I just had, I got, I got moved to a different team recently at work and it's, it's a, it's a great thing. It's like absolutely a better fit. It's based on like feedback that I gave them. And I still went on like multiple three hour long walks, just like stewing that shit. Um, but then figured out how to be like, oh, okay. Like I'm going to spin this into my own narrative and like, you know, this is going to be great for me for the rest of my life. But I was, oh, I didn't, I know I did not take it well. At, at the risk of keeping making this about that last firm, when I found out I was getting traded, I took like a two hour trip to the bathroom. They must've thought I had like dysentery. Like they, they must've thought I was dying, you know? And I'm sure Mike was in there killing it for that new team, whatever. All right. We go to Kareth. My guess for you, Kareth, is that you take it exceptionally professionally. I think you take it fine. Um, I think you would be motivated. I think internally you would use it, you know, as to weaponize your skill set and to go in there and, and punish your old employer. But I don't think you would go through any of the pissiness that we just described. And I don't think you would spend any time kind of feeling bad for yourself. I think you would start looking for the upsides and then just leaning into the upsides. Yeah, because let's go back to to the intro that you gave for Kareth and and the list of things already on her resume are such that mm -hmm. like there's like learned experience across a variety of different organizations and frameworks, right? That's like, you know, it's sort of like, a, I mean, LeBron would never be necessarily in trade rumors, but the sort of not even going through the one and done anointed in high school as going into the NBA, you don't have much of a context for different environments. Whereas somebody that had to like, you know, grind their way up and to get to the level of success that they had, I, I suspect that it, it allows you to take things a lot more, um, you know, uh, professionally, as Bram said. Gosh, I hope so. I, I feel like there's public Kareth and then there's private Kareth. And this is the private Kareth where like, I'm still debating people that I have a grudge with from five years ago oh, in my wow. head. You know what I mean? So if I were part of trade rumors, I think instantly because I'm a planner and, and frankly, I'm a warrior. I, I, I freak out. I, I am kind of a worst case scenario person inside my head. Okay. These are like the anxiety hurdles I jump through. I would start reaching out to my network, my player friends on the team that might be part of the trade and just say, Hey, what's it like there? Just trying to feel things out. What you know, you know, I kind of activate my, my whisper network and see if there's anything to these trade rumors because I never want to be caught. I never want to feel like I'm 
out of control. I, yeah. I always want to yeah. know what is my future. Yeah. yeah. So that's some insight into my weird brain. <laughs> I like it. And then maybe, you know what, part of me as I get older sort of feels like F it. Like, what if I am entering my LeBron age and maybe I do place bombs through media? What if I'm very aware of trade rumors and I start joining in on those conversations with just little things here and there that stir the conversation? <laughs> but truthfully, that's fantasy, Kareth. That would never happen. I, I, <laughs> I keep all that stuff on the inside. I have like this little negative Rolodex in my head of all the things I've wanted to say about this business or people in this business. <sighs> but is that the right thing to do? I don't know. Maybe when I feel, maybe when I'm out of the business, which I don't think will be anytime soon, don't trade me. Um, maybe, maybe I'll write a book or something, or, or maybe I'll subtly send out some love, but I hope I'm mature enough not to do that. I'll keep them in my head. Yeah. I, if you're coming here for some kind of mature form of advice, you've come to the wrong person. The only thing I disagree with, with what you just said is I don't know why you limit it to five years. I'm still arguing with people who I've had disagreements with. Like when I was like five, if I can remember it and I disagree with it, I'm still having that argument internally. It just, oh yeah. All the comebacks I wish I would have said oh, that just, just now I've been like, that would have been perfect. Oh, there's a lot of mics out there, a lot of mics for in Brandon. Yeah, hell yeah, a lot of mics. Dude, I, this is a completely true story from today. I parked my car, got into the elevator, and had a weird facial interaction with somebody. Like, did one of these and felt like it felt kind of off. I, when I got into the bathroom or at work, I went to the bathroom and did the same facial expression into the mirror to be like, did that look weird? And it did. I can tell you, it looks kind of weird. And I don't like, and then when I see that person again, I'm not going to make that same facial expression. So, it, okay. it, how much time do you spend in the bathroom? So much. so much. You know, what depends? Are we talking about you're a well hydrated Bram, you know, fantasy Bram? I mean, there's a lot of different brands, but he all spends a lot of time in the bathroom. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, Kareth, I really appreciate you rejoining us. We miss you. Um, oh, this is so much fun. I know this is your time off too. So for you to give us a little bit of time now really does mean the world to us. I am Thank positive you. people out there need way more Kareth Burke in their life. If I'm right, where do they turn? Oh, um, right now, nowhere. Sorry. You, you, again, you teed me up so well. Um, I don't work in the summers. I love it that way. So you can find me on Instagram at Kareth Burke. You can find me on Twitter at Kareth Burke. I'm just a lot more quiet. So um, if you want Dubs Talk, please turn into, tune into the Dubs Talk podcast. That's with Monty Poole and Dalton Johnson right now. And NBC Sports Bay Area has you covered with all the Warriors storylines. Um, can I just, would you mind if I ended on something? Because Bram, you said something pretty Please. profound about having a seven-year-old and how quickly the time goes, especially when you're missing it. Um, one of the big important things I'm doing this summer is getting ready to grow my family. Hey. Um, and and that's really exciting. It's been a really long process. So it's actually felt nice to disconnect from warrior stuff, yeah. to put that part of my personality aside and get ready to be a mom. Wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Congratulations. Um, I, I'll, I'll, so that we don't impact people who don't have kids, I'll keep my version of this short. It's the best thing I've ever done, Kareth. It's not close. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Hook, line, and sinker. It is the best thing I have ever done. Um, mm. For us, you want to get us a question, let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. You can shoot us an email to huddle at warriorshuddle.com. We're also on a number of social media services. We've got a Twitter account. That one's at Where's Huddle. We are on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Where's Huddle. We're on Instagram, same handle, but perhaps most importantly, if you're looking for me, I'm pissy somewhere in a bathroom <laughs> at least 10 hours a day. And with that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you real soon. Good, good. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.